Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is June the 12th, and our passage for today is the prophet Isaiah, chapter 42. Let's begin. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastland shall wait for his law. This is a wonderful messianic passage. This is not talking about the nation of Israel as a whole. This is not talking about someone who has come before. This is Mashiach, the anointed one, the Christos, the one that had been promised in the Garden of Eden that would come and stomp on the head of Satan himself and be victorious. The coming one, as he is many times described in the New Testament, This is a messianic passage that Isaiah thematically goes over and over and over again using various analogies and types from chapter 40 all the way through chapter 55. Now, these are passages of hope, and nothing brings hope to the Jew and the Gentile than the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one. God the Father says, I will put my spirit upon him. I will put my spirit upon him. That's interesting. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit relates to the individual differently than he does in the New Testament. I'll say it again. God the Holy Spirit relates to a person differently in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, than he does in the New Testament, specifically after Pentecost. Now, this is very important for us to understand theologically. The Bible teaches that in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon men and women, but left men and women. It seems as though God came upon them for a specific assignment, task, or purpose. And when that task was finished, or they grieved God or disobeyed God during that time or after, that God would remove His Spirit from them. So it was equipping. It was anointing. It was for empowerment and supernatural endowment to do those things which God had put before the particular person to do. And so you have passages where the Spirit of God would come upon Samson, one of the judges, but the Spirit of God would leave Samson. And it appears that though it is not always obvious, even to the person themselves, to whom the Spirit has withdrawn, that indeed he has withdrawn. Now, this happened with Samson. 
Uh, you remember the story of he and Delilah, and she had taunted him and tempted him and scolded him and chided him that he was not being truthful with her. And finally, after a continual dripping over a period of time, he gave in to her ploys. And when he did, she cut his hair, and with that, the symbol of his strength. And so the Bible says that Samson, when he was alerted that the Philistines were upon him, as it had been done many times before, now when he got up, he went out to slay them. He went out to kill them, fight them as he normally would, but he did not sense, he did not discern that the Spirit of God had left him. And without the Spirit of God, he did not have the divine power, the divine enablement and equipping to do what needed to be done from a supernatural standpoint. Now, he was not the only one. The same thing happened to Saul of the tribe of Benjamin, who was anointed king. He was anointed by God to be king, and the Spirit of God came upon him. But when he disobeyed and would not repent and turn to God with all of his heart, but was still trying to do things in his own way, in his own flesh, in his own mind, disregarding the clear words of God, then the Spirit of God left him. But when we come to the New Testament, we see the Lord Jesus is always faithful. The Spirit of God was upon him. That was not just from this passage that it was predicted, but Isaiah talked about it again in the closing chapters of his prophecy, where he talked about the Spirit of the Lord being upon him, on the Messiah, anointing him to preach the good news to the poor. And then he goes on and delineates who the poor is, who the blind is, who the broken are, all of this is in Luke chapter 4, verses 15 and following. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because after Pentecost, everything changed. Everything changed in relation to the Spirit of God. Many times, people miss the greatest miracle of Pentecost. I know when we talk about Pentecost, we're talking about signs, we're talking about supernatural activity, we're talking about sound and sight, miracles, speech miracles, and you find those in the book of Acts chapter 2. And all of these things were phenomena that truly showed the power and presence of God. But the great miracle of Pentecost, don't miss this, the great miracle of Pentecost it was not those supernatural manifestations which show up in Acts chapter 2 and verse 2 of sound, and verse 3 of sight, and verse 4 of chapter 2 of, of the book of Acts. You have this supernatural phenomenon of speech, of glossa, of dialectos, of someone having the supernatural ability to speak a language that was spoken in a day that they had never previously studied, just supernaturally being able to speak under the power of the Spirit. But the great miracle of Pentecost was that God changed his relationship to those who are his followers in that he came and set up residence in the life of every believer, the weakest believer, the strongest believer, and all of those in between. You see, the great miracle of Pentecost is that God came to live in the life of every believer. So in the truest sense, the Holy Spirit 
taking up residence in the heart of every believer is Jesus living in us. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute now. I am a strict Trinitarian, and I believe the Spirit of God is not Jesus. And uh, Okay, you say whatever you want to. The Bible says that the Spirit of God comes to live in the life of every believer. Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 that if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, that's very clear. And so the Spirit of God comes to take up residence in our hearts. But also that same apostle said, Christ in you, Christ in you is your hope, your expectation of glory, of heaven. You see, when God comes to live in us, he comes to live in us. And that is the presence of Jesus, the Messiah within us. It is God's Holy Spirit within us. It is God's presence within us. This is so important for us to understand that in the Old Testament, God relates to believers through his spirit in a different way than he does in the New Testament. You say, I'm just looking for consistency. Well, God is consistent, but he's the one that makes the rules, not you and not I, of what consistency is and what sin is this is exactly what it says and in Isaiah 42 you have this great hope Isaiah 43 that we'll deal with in tomorrow's podcast a tremendous passage of scripture but all of these passages have to do with hope expectancy the word hope is the word expectancy I define the New Testament elpida elpis all of those words in that family to expectation and hope. Hope is eager anticipation that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. It's excited expectation that God is going to do according to everything that he has promised. God is faithful. And this is what Isaiah is trying to get across. And God was faithful even to bless his people when they were in total rebellion. Verse 10 starts the admonition to sing to the Lord a new song and praise him from the ends of the earth. And he talks about all these various people and the promise of God's help and the expectancy of God's help in the verses that follow. But when we come to verse 21, it's amazing that in spite of all the goodness and graciousness and generosity of God, Israel was still given to idol worship. And when I say Israel, that was just the particular people that God was dealing with at that time as his chosen people. They are still his chosen people. But the fact is he worked directly with them in an unusual way to get the Messiah to us, to get the word of God to us. But over and over again, like us, they would turn from God and make idols. It's fascinating. Israel could not get this idolatry out of their system and could not get this idolatry out of their minds until the great exile. And we don't read much about idolatry after that. And the reason was God said enough is enough and he sent them out of the land. He spewed them out of the land. That doesn't mean he took it away from them, but he said you're not going to be able to live here and enjoy this until you stop the idol worship. It's amazing that a man will cut down a tree as God says other places in his word on more than one occasion 
that he'll cut down a tree. He'll take part of that tree and the limbs off that tree and part of that tree's wood, and he'll make himself a fire. He'll bake bread with it. He'll warm himself by it. And with the other part of that wood, he'll set himself up a totem or an idol or start drawing faces and make the image of man and bird and all kinds of four-footed animals. And will then take that wood, set it before him, and bow down and worship that idol, that representation of some being, whether it be sun, moon, stars, birds, animals of any kind, or even of another person, and say that that is what created him. It's mind-boggling. This is what Israel did over and over and over again. And it wasn't ignorance that caused them to continue on in this. They were the most educated theologically. They were the most educated spiritually of all the people who ever lived on the planet, and yet they did it. So knowledge is not the key. Knowledge with obedience and submission to that knowledge of the will of God and the words of God is what brings about that a sense of God's presence and God's spirit resting upon someone. And so in the New Testament, we're not kicked out of a land necessarily. We're not spewed out of a land, but God disciplines us in other ways by his spirit who lives within us. So read through this chapter and read through it again because it prepares us for chapter 43 when God, it seems like, just opens up the heavens and pours out promise after promise after promise to the nation of Israel and with, in many cases, applications to those who are followers of Jesus in this present era in which we live. We'll be there tomorrow, but for now, this is Tony Chris for On The Way. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.